please open your Bibles to Psalm 41. It is found on page 567 of your Red Bibles. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sick bed and restores them from their bed of illness. I said, have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely, while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, a vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson comes from the letter of James. If you want to turn there, we can begin on page 1213 of your red Bibles, if you're using those. James chapter 1, just three verses there, verses 13 to 15. And then we'll spend most of our time at the beginning of James chapter 4. So first, James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Let's hear God's word. James writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And then chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, our main passage for today. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Verse four, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, whoever, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. 
That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It'd be great if you were to keep your finger there in uh, chapter four of James's letter, as we'll be referring to it frequently. Well, according to an article in The Atlantic from several years ago, uh, research shows, surprisingly enough, that if you want a happy and lasting romantic relationship, marriage, partnership, the, research, the researchers say that you should, are you ready? Treat your spouse with the same kindness that you would want out of any friendship. Okay, that's why they pay them the big bucks to do that kind of research. Tim Keller says something similar. He says, look, if you're in a marriage, if both spouses approach this relationship saying, my character and behavior, my character is the reason for most of our problems, if both people say that, then they're probably going to have a really great marriage. We're walking on the Pilgrim Road with St. James, and he's been coaching us now. This is the fourth week of our coaching sessions with him, training for the way of St. James. And he's shown us that our challenges are not so much our circumstances along the way, but actually our relationships. What if we used, for example, Keller's marriage advice and applied it to the rest of our relationships with our colleagues and friends, with teammates, uh, with church folks, maybe. What if we really believed, you know, what they say, it's not you, it's me. Not, not that we ignore the character flaws of other people or make excuses for them, but what if we were so focused on renewing our own character that we had really little time or energy left to criticize other people? Let's do it, shall we? Let's try it. Easy, right? I'll just assume that I'm the one who has a lot of work to do. You all just assume that about yourselves and we'll all get along just splendidly. Well, of course, it's not easy. And the reason that it's not easy, you've probably wondered if you saw it, not just like why this strange tune for the Gloria Patri, but what is going on on the backside of this bulletin insert? The perceptive ones among you might say, well, we have here roughly two and a half icebergs. The reason that it's not easy to live the Christian life and to love one another well 
is because you and I are icebergs. The stuff that other people see, and even the stuff that we see in ourselves, that stuff is just the tip of the iceberg, the stuff that's above the surface. And underneath the surface is really the majority of the iceberg, a huge, complex bundle of emotions and motivations and desires. And so what St. James is going to do this morning with us, whether we like it or not, is he's going to say it's time for a little submarine ride under the surface. And below the surface, that's where I see, finally, that my problem is not me versus the economy or me versus my poor health. And actually, my real problem is not even me versus you all or some of you but my real problem is actually me versus me. So if you're the note-taking type, or if you're the doodling type, I've started your doodle for you. Um, You can take your pen if you'd like, and at the top of that iceberg on the right, you can say, me, this one is me. What's going on with the iceberg that is me? Well, James starts there, above the surface, with stuff that all of us can see. He says, verse 1 of chapter 4, there's so much quarreling and fighting among you. A little bit further down, verse 11, he says, there's this tendency to speak evil against one another and to slander each other. We might say then, if we want to say what's going on at the top of the iceberg, we might say that, Really what this amounts to is abuse. We abuse other people. And then next to abuse, if you want, you can write quarreling and fighting and slander. Because when you have a conflict that turns into a quarrel or a gossip session, then you are abusing sisters and brothers, friends and colleagues, neighbors, teammates, bosses, employees, opponents, humans. But of course, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And actually, what's below the surface is even more important. And James says that right there at the surface, kind of below it, verse 2, he says is you kill one another. Other translations just say murder. And Probably, uh, you're not going to literally kill other people, although we've been doing it, haven't we, forever. But all of us are going to end up killing people a thousand times in little ways, even in the privacy of our hearts. And so James then takes us down under the surface, and we find more iceberg there, and it's not pretty what we see, because what's underneath our abuse Our fights, quarrels, gossip, all that. Well, in the middle of that bottom chunk of the iceberg, you can write, use. Because we are willing to abuse people because we've already decided that it's okay to use them. And James says that we use people, verse 2, because we covet what they have. And James says that we don't just use people, but that, verse 3, we also use God. He says, you're not 
praying and you're not asking for what you need. And if you do ever get around to pray, you're mostly just asking God for stuff. And that stuff can be good stuff. You know, a new and better job, better pay, a girlfriend, a husband, things to go well. Not bad things. But James says we're asking and our motivations are all messed up. We're focused on our own pleasures. And so before we pray, instead of asking, how can I glorify and enjoy God? We're asking, what can I get from God so that I can enjoy myself? And the submarine goes down a little bit further and it's colder and darker. And verse 11, James says, we have a judgmentality problem. We are judgmental. And when we make ourselves into the judges of others, we're acting like we're above the law. So we hold everyone else accountable except ourselves. And then further down the iceberg we go, and he says, verse one, it is our warring passions that are underneath all of this. It's like every desire in me is fighting with every other desire in me, and especially if a good desire for the love of God and for my neighbor pops up and says, I desire this, the other desires in us say, no, we want what we want. So James says again, verse eight, that we're double-minded people. Further down, what's really beneath all of this? James says, verse four, in the end, it's kind of friendship with the world, he says. Simply speaking, we just want money and pleasure and power over other people. And we want those things much more than we want to love God and our neighbor. And so there's one more big thing that characterizes us down there at the bottom of the iceberg. Abuse up here at the top where everybody can see. Use down below the surface a little bit. What do we do at the bottom? We accuse. We abuse, we use, and then we accuse. Here we have to flip back over to James chapter one. Verse 13 where we read makes this really clear to us. We experience temptation, we give into it, that temptation is to abuse God and other people. But then when we abuse God and other people, guess who we blame? God and other people. And we've been doing this, of course, since the beginning. Adam abuses his position at the head of creation and rebels against God. He uses God's creation, the fruit, to get what he wants, more power, more pleasure. And then God in his grace comes looking for him in the garden. And what does Adam do? He accuses. He says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and so I ate it. Right? It can't be Adam's fault. Adam's saying, God didn't give me every single tree. God didn't give me absolute authority. But what he did give me was this woman 
Friends, a, a user and an abuser is always going to be an accuser as well. Why would we accuse others and God for what we've done and for who we are? Well, at the very bottom of the iceberg, underneath the surface, way underneath, verse 6 of chapter 4 again, James said, is pride. You're so sick of me talking about pride and humility by now. We've been doing it since September. But we're trying to love one another well here in the church, and this is a big issue. James says, God opposes the proud. This isn't your problem. This is our problem, and it's my problem. Too often I quarrel and fight and gossip. I've murdered people in my heart. I've made myself the judge over other people. I'm acting like I'm above the law. I have warring passions within me, just like you do. And I know what it's like to be double-minded. And when all of that is true of me in any given moment or any day, then yes, God stands opposed to me and to all of that ugliness. You're thinking, what a lousy submarine ride. I want my money back. But if we're honest, we know that James is doing this because he loves us. He's telling us the truth about ourselves in love. And verse 7, he wants us ultimately to submit ourselves to the Lord. For us, verse 8, to draw near to God. And actually, that's what this iceberg over here is all about. This is the God iceberg, if you like. And James says, let's just take a moment and let's look at the other iceberg. Let's get in our submarine one more time. What's this like? What's God like? And we see, as we've already said, verse 6, that above the surface is opposition. God is opposed to the proud. And sometimes this is all some people ever see of God, is opposition. Yes, God opposes us when we're an iceberg floating through his creation with our warring passions and our hatred and our gossip and our uh, divisive spirits. But we need to understand that God's opposition to our pride is meant to humble us. And why would, it want, why would God want to humble us? Verse 6 tells us because he wants to give us and show us more grace. Above the surface, we might see God's opposition, but when we look closely, just at the surface, it's grace. God is sometimes against us, but when God is against us, he's against us for us. We'll never even think to open up our arms to his grace until our pride is humbled. Friends, if God comes to you and shows you your pride and all the ugly stuff that comes with it, then you need to know this. When God comes to you, even when it's to correct and to rebuke you, it's because he loves you and he is right then and there being gracious to you. You see, if God didn't love you, then he wouldn't oppose your pride 
he would just let you self-destruct. But with God, no news is not good news. And bad news can be the beginning of really good news. Above the surface, opposition. Just at or below the surface sometimes, grace. But what is at the bottom of all this? At the bottom of this God iceberg, James tells us what's down there is a passionate, loving, jealous heart of a good God. Look at verse 5. James says that God longs for our complete and unreserved loyalty and love. He's given us, if we belong to Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is at work in our spirits to win our undivided and single-minded, pure loyalty and love. Now step back and look at these two icebergs, right? You've probably scribbled a lot of stuff there in the iceberg on the right. Not that much to say about the one on the left. You see how complex and complicated we are? And you see, by contrast, how simple God is? God loves us and longs for us. He opposes, yes, our self-destructive pride, but he invites us to humble ourselves and come near. In verse 6, he gives grace, more and more and more grace. The Lord is inviting us, James says, to experience a ceasefire in our hearts, to end those warring ambitions inside of us. And he's inviting us to move toward him. We would think we need to do the opposite. But actually, he's already moved toward us in grace. And how has he done this? Well, think about our Lord Jesus. Even though the law that James talks about was itself an expression of Jesus' own heart, what did Jesus do? He submitted himself to God's law. While we were busy standing over it, Jesus submitted himself to it. Now, Jesus could not be accused of any of that ugliness beneath the surface that we have. He moved through the world with perfect simplicity, just jealousy for God's heart and for ours, grace and opposition to injustice, using, abusing, and accusing everywhere he saw it. Jesus had a single-minded love for God and for his neighbor. He had a true love for the world, not an interest to just be friends with the world. And Jesus never coveted the things that people enjoyed, even if they were things that he didn't have to enjoy. He always speaks the truth, and he speaks the truth in love. And actually, when you think back to Keller's advice, Jesus couldn't exactly take that advice in his relationships, could he? He can't assume the fundamental problem in this relationship is probably me. (laughs) Because he was pure and loving and holy and sinlessly so. And so what does he do in those relationships? He does something even better for us. He submits himself to God's oppositional judgment against our sin. 
We use and abuse and accuse, and Jesus goes to the cross and carries all of this and was glad to be judged for it so that we wouldn't be. So when James says, but God gives more grace, James is thinking, of course, of Jesus. While we were still sinners, God gave Jesus. While we were still recovering users and abusers and accusers, God continues to oppose that pride in us, even while he humbles us and gives us more grace and more Jesus. And this is really what we will do at the Lord's table in a few minutes. We will come and ask for more grace for all of us are recovering users and abusers and accusers. And we lay down our arms, we ask, we plead for a ceasefire within our hearts and between one another and the Lord, and God gives more grace. The forgiveness of Jesus that he won at the cross, renewal by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he draws near to us today and transforms our hearts. And so then when he's done with us, when we're tempted to accuse, we confess instead. Our pride is melted away. We're ready to admit that we're wrong. We learn to assess and not just confess. We learn that it's our warring internal desires and we need to see them for what they are. And when we become people near to God who confess and who assess ourselves, then what shows up on the surface finally of our renewed lives? Well, we become people who bless. The quarreling and the fighting and the gossip turn into blessing. Instead of killing a little bit at a time with our words, a little bit at a time we aim to heal. When we draw near to God and God draws near to us by grace. The promise is that slowly but surely we will become more like the Lord Jesus himself, the author and the finisher of our lives of faith. The one who has, after all, walked the way ever before we did, and even before St. James ever did. Jesus is the one who is glad to walk the way with us now to walk with us all the way home, all the way to the end of our pilgrimage. What a gracious savior we have in the Lord Jesus. Isn't it a marvelous thing to be a Christian believer, to belong to him? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would seal your word through James to our hearts. And that as we lay down our arms and we lay down our lives, that you would move us by your spirit to come closer to you in Jesus Christ and that you would make us like him. Please get to work because we don't always like what we see. But we see in others around us and we see even a little bit in ourselves something new, something that's more like Jesus. So keep going with your work for we trust you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.